Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 125 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Old Lang Syme. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Even older Lang Syme. <sighs> well, you said it wrong. I, it, I mean... Can we also have a resolution that we don't compete anymore this year, Dill? I won't compete even harder. <laughs> All right. <laughs> You know when the, the jokes happen so many times that not only is it dead, it's been buried and then dug up again and then opened up and then buried again? Ah, uh, yes. Here's to 2023. And it becomes even more hilarious. Yes, I do know that. Hi, everybody. Happy 2023. Um, do you have any reading mm-hmm. resolutions besides um, burying Dylan or whatever? What? Burying um, Dylan? Is that what you got out of that? Yep. How are things going in your house? <laughs> Um, I mean, I assume, I assume we all made new Goodreads goals. Ooh. I don't know if we want to jump right into that or if we are trying to get like more specific with our resolutions. Ooh. Andrew is the kid raising his hand, reminding the teacher of the homework right now. Thanks, Andrew. Andrew, respect. Game, respect, game. Well, I was asked what my resolutions were, and that's literally the only reading resolution I made. <laughs> that's exactly the kind of thing the kid with his hand up would say. I'm, well, I'm just trying to do the homework. It's assigned, and we want to do it. <laughs> well, I actually have I have a lot I want to talk about during this intro, because I've made some okay. changes. Oh. But um, oh. at first, I, I'd love to hear where everybody stands on this. I'll go first so people can ease into it. Okay. Basically, last day, completed my goal of 36 books last year, which seems low in comparison to my my colleagues here, but it was it was, it was was hard for me. However, I got into a much better sort of rhythm at the end of the year with reading and reading for fun. So I'm going to try to take that mm-hmm. forward, and I'm going up to 42 this year. Ooh. Ooh. The answer to life, the universe, and everything. With uh, with the aim of, of building that reading muscle and going for 52 in 2024, one book a week, which is something I didn't think possible Ooh. for me. Well, by the skin of my teeth, I got 75, but I wasn't feeling really great about it near the end in terms of there was a lot of short books and graphic novels. Like I read Madeline Miller's Galatea, which was like probably a 20 page story that they made into a published book. Hey, hey, it's a published book. It is. Anyway, so <laughs> I've decided that next year my goal is 80, keeping in mind that 75 Whoa. was hard, but I did have to read Les Mis. So if I don't have to read Les Mis, maybe it'll be easier. So that's my goal. What about you, Toby? Well, as we've chronicled, uh, I did not make my Goodreads last year, which I think was like 72 or something. So this year, I decided to give myself a little break. I'm going to back off a little bit. So I went back down to 60, uh, which I feel really good about. But yeah, I, that's that's where I'm at. Oh, Toby, I think that's good. 60, you can do it. I think you got hung up on the podcast listening to, uh, got hung up on yeah, listening yeah. to the podcast. I I also want to say... Well, let's make it clear. In case this is your first episode, I was not listening to episodes of this podcast so much that I I couldn't read my books. Uh, Toby, stop listening to our podcast over and over again. That doesn't count as reading books. I do do that, but I keep that to myself. (laughs) I will say that in... To aid my goal, I've decided to always have an audiobook and a um, physical book going at the same time because what happens is I mm-hmm. get stuck in, in podcast ruts, as you say. Like I listened to an old Bachelor Recap podcast that was like years ago and that, you know, if, if you listen to five episodes of a podcast, that's basically the same as a book. So that's my goal. But see, that's why I gave myself 60 instead of 72 or whatever is because I want to allow myself, you know, a silly indulgence like an old Bachelor podcast or something like that. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm leaving no, space no. in 2023 for bad decisions. No fun. No fun allowed. <laughs> listen to an audience member. In that case, you should keep listening to podcasts. Speaking of that, Toby, I just, true. I just wanted to check in. Um, let's do like a David Foster Wallace update. 
Um, <laughs> so last time on the podcast, you, what did you say? You stepped on a rake and it hit you in the head and you <laughs> ended up it having- It was a rake that I myself had placed on the ground a moment before. That's the, that's the real- <laughs> So you Picker. lost the game that we were playing, and then you had to pick the book that mm-hmm. you had just picked. I'm sure thinking you would never have to read it. Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace. How is that going? You know, I have thought, I knew you were going to ask me this question. And it's tricky because I don't want to give any like advanced reviews because mm-hmm. I'm well into it now. Like I've been reading it for a couple of weeks. I will say a couple experiences I've had, one of the one of which I texted you about uh, earlier this week, which is me and my wife were reading together. And she was like, how's it going? And I was like, well... There's a a section here where it's like 11 pages without a paragraph break. And I showed her it's like just, you know, wall to wall, Bible sized text with no paragraph breaks, no dialogue, no nothing, just like uninterrupted, almost stream of consciousness speaking. So that happened. Also, I have to I've had to abandon attempting to use the audiobook because and I will really throw shade at the audiobook here. The audiobook, um, if you don't know about Infinite Jest, one of the famous parts about it is that it has over a hundred pages of end notes where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you're reading and there's a little one superscript and you have to go to the back of the book and look up what one is re- in reference to. The audiobook does not interject them into the audiobook as they are happening in the text. They are put as a separate book at the end of the seven sections of the audiobook, which is 56 hours long, by the way. And so you would have to pause your point in the audiobook, go to the separate section of the audiobook and look up the correct superscript there. So it's a terrible way instead of just interjecting it into the audio normally. So mm. I'm not doing that. That's a pain in the butt. So I'm reading a physical copy. I want to throw a major shade at whoever decided to do that to the audiobook because you cannot skip the end notes. They are integral to the story. Oh. So I heard that some of them are like pages long. Like Yes, my favorite one so far is a uh, complete index of an independent filmmaker's filmography that was like three whole pages of end notes. So that's fun. <laughs> but more importantly... Has anyone come up to you in like a coffee shop and complimented your book? Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone noticed refused. that you're reading Infinite Jest? I actually Jess? refused. I have refused to read it in public. I've, <laughs> I've thought about it. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to like the coffee shop. I'm like, nope, I'm not bringing it with me. I, I can't be that guy. Yeah. Well, you don't want Timmy Chalamet from Lady Bird coming up and swapping uh, People's History of the United States for it with you. <laughs> just mm-hmm. saying mm-hmm. rad. <laughs> I mean, uh, that I could stand, but. <laughs> oh, man. Speaking of awful decisions. <laughs> Yeah. Does anyone have any shade coming out of Christmas? And by shade, I mean shame. I I don't understand the question and won't respond to it. <laughs> Again, do I have to be the one who lists mine out so that people feel comfortable sharing with the group? I'll go first. <laughs> okay. Um, I got eight puzzles for Christmas. That is not what this po- podcast is about. I, once again, Bailey, we can't say enough. Not what the podcast is about. Save it for the two puzzlest. <laughs> okay, fine. Despite, I got... despite what many uh, our many Instagram followers who really heavily engage with that content may say, this is not what that podcast is about. <laughs> they get mad when I don't post enough puzzles. Um, anyway. Yeah, I know. Um, so as you know, at the end of last year, I finally got to the number we started the podcast with four years ago, 125 books. And then for Christmas, I got 12 <laughs> new books. So nice. I'm adding Gallant by Victoria Schwab. I got that for Toby's wife and then I wanted it too. The Witches Are Coming by Lindy West. This is one that I got for Andrew's wife and then he also had gotten it for her. So I was like, I'll take that one. So it was a bonus. Self-shame. Self-shame. Uh, the Hunger by Bailey, Al- I, what? I have a I have a quick question. Yes. <laughs> Did you buy two copies of Gallant? 
Why? Because you may have mistakenly stamped the one you gave to Louise with your from the library oh, of no! Bailey Macron Wells. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Oh, no, because I do have two copies. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, well, I'm going to come back to that stamp thing in a bit, but that's embarrassing. Right. The other books I have. Oh, yeah, shame. The Hunger by Al Makatsu. This is a horror story about the Donner Party. Heck, yeah. Paul Bear's Club by Paul Tremblay. This one is... He's a great horror writer. This is his newest one. Everyone's talking about it. Our Missing Hearts mm. by Celeste Ng. Thank you, Andrew. This is a gift from him. Her You're new welcome. book, The Rabbit Hutch by Tess Gunty. I think that just won the National Book Award. Thank you, Andrew, for that book. That was Jillian. Oh, thank you, Jillian. My bad. The Marriage Portrait by Maggie O'Farrell. We like her. Hamnet Forever. Thank you, Andrew. That one was me. Yeah. Signed copy. Yeah. Um, mm. Hester. Um, this is a book that's sort of a retelling of The Scarlet Letter, but more fun. Uh-oh. Thank you, myself. Um, more fun than The Scarlet Letter? Yeah, there you go. Electra by Jennifer Saint. This is the story of Electra, but retold, because uh, I'm cool. And that's no. it. I'm going to say the theme here. Yeah, I'm still upset about the stamp situation. Yeah, so those are the books I'm adding. <laughs> I will just throw out there, since since it came up, I got a stamp that says from the Library of Bailey, and I was really excited to start using it, and I started stamping my new books. Clearly, I stamped the wrong one. But regardless, <laughs> I have used it as a barometer to do I want to keep this book on my shelf, because there's ones that I've kept on the shelf for a while, but I'm like, I don't want to stamp it. And to me, that's a big sign mm. that maybe I really don't want that book. Or you can just go mad with power and just go to Barnes & Noble and start stamping things. Well, apparently I'm stamping it to <laughs> gifts I'm giving. <laughs> anyway, so I'm... Does this book stamp joy? <laughs> I'm really excited about that, but, you know, shameful of my very good shame. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Mine is less involved, um, but there's something else I want to throw in on top of it. I'll try to be quick. So, for Christmas, I received a few gifts, which are now going to become shame on the podcast. Thank you very much. I think in particular, Dylan and Bailey here. Actually, and my mom. <laughs> but I received a very nice copy of the 50th anniversary edition of The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, um, which I've never actually read. I, I think my family read a little bit of it to me, but I've never read this one. I've read The Lord of the Rings, but not The Hobbit. So that's going on wow. there. Uh, so thank you very much, Mom. And then I also have copies of two D&D sort of themed books. Thank you, Bailey and Dylan. Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. I also received from Dylan a copy of a book called Slaying the Dragon, which is a secret Ooh. history of Dungeons and Dragons, sort of how it came to be and some of its good and bad parts of its history. So I'm excited about that. Nonfiction for the win. Um, woo! Um, <laughs> I also received Small Game by Blair Braverman, which Bailey has already read and recommended on this podcast. You're welcome. So I'm excited to read that but I do think I'm going to read that before we get to it, but we'll see. And then finally, I had a great find in a little free library in Seattle when I was visiting Jillian's family of uh, The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo uh, oh, by yeah. Taylor Jenkins Reid, and I'm excited to read that at some point. Good shame. Good um, shame, everyone. Yeah, Good, good, good shame, shame. Good shame. I should also say I received the book Ducks by Katie Beaton, which was great, and I read it before the end of the year. That was one of the ones that I sp finished in the last sprint to get to my goal, but it was really great. One of a couple five stars at the end, which also included um, Patrick Radden Keith's nonfiction say nothing which mm -hmm. is quite good as well Ooh, yeah that same thing happened with the book you gave me under um dumb birds of the stupid world i read that before the end of the year just <laughs> nice uh toby did you have any shame um i was kind of forced to consider that maybe i've been a little bit too choosy in the past because nobody gave me any books this year <laughs> especially <laughs> not my, my my family didn't give me any books because i think they know me as someone who like picks out his own books I don't know. They gave me some other stuff, but I got zero books this year uh, for Christmas, which is fine with me, um, but also a little concerning. So, uh, yeah, 
that's uh, no shame, but a little sadness. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I'm sorry, Toby. Oh, no. To- we'll send you some books, Toby. It's okay. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Toby, if you want us to no, send no, you yeah. random books, we will. From the Library of Bailey. Uh, didn't say that. Didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, from the Library of Bailey. <laughs> so, people, the world... Everybody has noticed that I have weird books on my list, holdovers from college, <laughs> books that there's no reason I should ever read, um, books that are so out of date as to be comical, books that people would make fun of if they saw me reading. So in the spirit of new year, new start, I have called my list slightly. And because I am who I am, I've put a weird system to it. You've called your list by removing the anatomy of melancholy and then you're done. <laughs> no, no, no. So the system is, is such. I didn't remove any li- any book that I actually bought for myself. In the spirit of that, there's seven titles that I'm removing. So sorry if those are the reason you were here on the podcast, as well as an additional seven that I'm marking as like, mm, we'll see about you, punk. <laughs> but the seven titles that are definitely removed are The Changing Face of Football, which is completely out of date, Colonialism Experienced, which is a set of primary sources, um, The Green Grocer and His TV, which I don't remember how I got, O'Neill Life with Monte Cristo, which is like a thousand page biography of Eugene O'Neill, who I have researched exhaustively in my life. And also this was a gift many years ago, a biography of Roger Federer and Save the Cat, (laughs) a screenwriting book, which I'm not interested in. Nice. Uh, So yes. So now I'm with with my conscience clear. I'm ready to join the podcast again. So what number are you at now? Excellent. I'm at 78. I mean, I think there are four or five additional books from Christmas, Mm -hmm. some of which will will make it onto my formal list, but I'm going to be low 80s. Well, I'm going to thank you on behalf of a podcast listener, a podcast producer. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to <laughs> listen to those episodes. So thank you. Of course. Um, but Andrew, did you read a book this week? Yes, I did. I read a book, a very popular book that everyone's heard of. <laughs> I read Oligarchy by Scarlett Thomas. Everyone's in charge. Oligarchy, garchy. This is specifically referring to Russian oligarchs, which is definitely about wealth. Gotcha. Um, so mm. I'm sure everyone's heard of this book, but just in case, I'll give you a log line. <laughs> Oligarchy follows Natasha, or Tosh as she becomes, when she's thrust into the world of a one-percenter boarding school in England from a much sparser situation in Russia. What transpires is a winding roller coaster of teenage pain, social manipulation, and societal rot, and ultimately a reminder that humans are animals made of flesh and blood, no matter how much or how little they have in the bank. Oh. Ooh, I particularly liked social rot. I like what a, what yes. a great turn of phrase. flesh and blood. I like bank. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a big fan of the word bank. Um, yeah, so I don't know a lot about this book. The reason I picked it up is I was browsing a bookshop and the cover is quite striking. It's like a kind of, let's not be rude here, but bad drawing of a, of a, a blonde woman. <laughs> But it's in an interesting art style and it's like very stark red, yellow, black, and it kind of popped mm. out on the shelf. And so I picked it up and I am glad I did. To give you a little bit of plot context, it's a pretty brief book that Logline basically covers it. But to put a finer point on a couple things, uh, Natasha comes to England. Her father is a Russian oligarch, but she hasn't really known him all her life. Um, so he like rescues her, as she puts it, from her mother, who it lives in a much uh, lower money circumstance. And she's thrust not into his house because he's busy I guess but into a boarding school in England so it's not it's not really a fish out of water because like everybody in this boarding school has sort of a similar situation they're all incredibly wealthy a lot of them are from around the world and she fits in pretty well but what she's fitting into is a little weird but she fits I mean that's basically our, our launching point 
I'm also just going to provide a quick content warning here. I'm not going to go into anything um, that I think will be upsetting to anybody, but I'm going to give a positive review of this spoiler alert. And it does have if you pick it up, just know that going in, it talks a lot about disordered eating and a lot about just issues with with body image and food. So if that's something that mm. is not um, something that you can comfortably read or engage with, that's completely fine. This is just not probably the book for you. Mm. Thank you for that. That's good. Fair. With that said, let's go into some elves and orcs. So again, I didn't really have any expectations for this book. And because of that, it was kind of surprising in like the best way because I knew nothing going in except that it was set at a prep school, but it's like a kind of a raw, like animal book. And it's, it's exciting when you just have no expectations for something and it Mm -hmm. surprises you in that way. And a lot of that has to do with, there's kind of just a wildness to the book, both in terms of the content, which is quite, as I've hinted at, like upsetting and, 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 and wild, but even more so in its style, it's almost stream of consciousness. It's almost all these other things. It's almost like a present tense progressive sort of thing, but it's just really a, it's a compelling style that is driving and sort of propulsive. Sentences are kind of winding and spin off to unexpected places. And I think most crucially, I don't think she pulls like a single punch the entire time. She always says like exactly what a character is thinking, doesn't leave a lot of room for subtext, goes for Mm. a direct. Mm. It's not a careful book. And I think in this context, that's a compliment. Cool. That's a good quote. Can I throw out an adjective? Is it visceral um there are part yes you know it is visceral yes. i think wild is better oh, the word yes. that i chose oh, okay. but fine. <laughs> but let's give you just sort of a um a drop in this is early on in the book page four for context uh tosh is in the back of a cab getting driven from the airport or not even a cab i think it's a like a hired car from the airport where she flew first class to this private school which is very fancy but she's thinking that the driver is being a little cagey he can't really have just said that But perhaps dying on a slick, dark night in London would be interesting, efficient, and she would not have to lose her virginity or learn how to use eyelash curlers or ever go home. I liked that quote because that comes out of nowhere. It's kind of just like a description of driving in a car. And then all of a sudden it's like she could die right now. Um, And she never and also she never wants to go home. Yeah. (laughs) And you just know that without getting any. And also, I don't know how to use eyelash curlers. Well, you would learn if you were Tosh. Okay. (laughs) I guess. But yeah, so it's, it's a lot of stuff like that. Like you had, we had no background about her wanting or not wanting to go home. But because of that one little sentence, you get all this information without like any dilly dallying, which is kind of cool. Mm. Another elf is that for a book that's definitely rooted in sort of dark things and darkness, there's a lot of humor in it. And it's often very surprising. I'm going to throw in another quote from page 18 about this. This one I have slightly edited um, for the sense of keeping our um, podcast clean, (laughs) Um, but I'm going to read it again. It's on page 18. Um, She has received uh, a phone in the mail, which is not allowed at school that connects to the internet. Quote, it has an Apple Music account activated, which is useful, and an app called Dark Web, which is frightening. The phone has been set up so its owner can look at literally anything. Beheadings, penetration, how to make bombs. Not that Natasha would want to look at those things, of course. She really only wants to look at girls who are about the same shape and size as her, wearing clothes she hasn't thought of wearing, and boys with longish hair and freckles, and fierce-looking ponies. (laughs) Who doesn't want to look at fierce-looking ponies? Oh my god. I know, I never knew I did until now. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god, Apple Music? (laughs) (laughs) Disgusting. But yeah, so it's things like that where clearly is living in a dark place, but then we'll throw in things like fierce looking ponies as a line. I like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
from that, I'll go into my last elf, which sort of feeds into my one major orc, which is that, as I said earlier, it's really propulsive and really surprising. And it's short. Sure, it's, it's, it's quite short. It's like 230 pages. But I have read shorter books that did not move at such a pace or demand you continue reading. Like it, it really just keeps you going. I think a lot of that has to do with the sort of rolling and driving style that it's written in. Mm-hmm. It's really visceral. Um, it's really wild, <laughs> I think, is what you said. What I, yeah, super, super wild. Yeah. Super embodied. Can we say embodied? Mm. It's embodied, but it's also wild. Mm. <laughs> could we say bang, um, maybe? I, I could say the word bang, which is a beautiful word. Um, however, this does uh, go into my major work on it, which is that for all the compliments that I've paid it, I do think it like sort of suffers from its brevity into a little bit, to a bit of an extent. Mm-hmm. Things are kind of wrapped up cleanly. I don't want to reveal too much, and I've sort of specifically avoided going into plot too much because it is so short. But I think there's something really off in the second half in terms of pacing, and it kind of lets down the reader. Things just, there are balls in the air that aren't necessarily dropped, but just sort of forgotten about. They might still be floating somewhere, but who knows? <laughs> so I guess that's dropped. And I feel like that was a little disappointing. And then like a sort of half work is that, I, as I alluded to, the content is a little heavy. And I think there's a sort of like really good balance of it to start. And then similarly in the second half, the scales kind of flip and I think it's less satisfyingly balanced in the second half. Hmm. All that said, it's ultimately a four star book for me, but it's uh, the like elves outweigh the orcs. Um, It's a great advert for Scarlett Thomas, who's an author I've never really heard of before, but Mm -hmm. based on the strength of this book, I would love to check out more of what she's written. Are you going to keep it on your shelf, stamp it with your name? I already stamped it with my name, but yes. All right, make sure you've got a stamp for longer than you, dork. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Four stars. Toby, do you have any facts on this Scarlett Thomas? Oh, I've got so many of them. And here's one. She was born on the 5th of July in 1972 in Hammersmith, England. How about that? Hmm? Is that the only fact you have, Toby? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sorry. Uh, Guys, can we vamp for a while? Um, No. Uh, She is an English author. She writes contemporary postmodern fiction, and she's published 10 novels. Wait, really? Also, (laughs) yes. I'm I'm shocked that she's published that many novels. Okay, great. She's the professor of creative writing and contemporary fiction at the University of Kent. Heard of it. And she attended a variety of schools, including a state junior school in Barking, Highland School, and a boarding school for 18 months. So she has experience uh, in this type of environment. During her teenage years, she was uh, very outspoken. She was involved in many demonstrations against the poll tax, nuclear weapons, and the first Gulf War. Uh, Heard of it. First three. (laughs) Heard of it? Her first three novels feature Lily Pascal, an English literature lecturer who solves murder mysteries. Her next three novels, Bright Young Things in 2001, Going Out 2002, and Popco in 2004, took her away from genre fiction, and she used them to, quote, explore what it means to be trapped in a culture where your your identity is defined by pop culture. So there's that. Um, Then she wrote... In 2006, The End of Mr. Y, which was kind of her breakout book. Um, And then she followed that up with Our Tragic Universe. When she was writing her ninth novel, The Seed Collectors, her research included studying towards an MSc in ethnobotany. Do you guys ever think like there's so many books that people say the titles and you have not heard of them? And you're like, I thought I knew Mm -hmm. books, but I guess I don't know anything and I'm dumb. Anybody else? (laughs) Oh, Bailey. Uh, you got to work on that self-talk. 
I, when I when people when I hear truly when I hear about all these books that I've never heard of, I just think about the world of publishing and how hard it must be to make any money at all. Like this woman's published ten books and we've heard of one of them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Negative stuff. Talk about other people, Bailey, not about yourself. That's, yeah, but also we we're dumb. Yeah. Okay. Continue. <laughs> I for one. I am dumb. Thank you very much. But it has nothing to do with my book knowledge. Oh, see, he's confident about it, guys. That's the way to be. Apart from writing fiction, as I mentioned, she's taught creative writing at the University of Kent since 2004, so for quite a while now. She has stated previously that she has been working on and off about a, a book called 41 to Zero, about her year of returning to competitive tennis. She stopped playing when she was 14, but took it up again in 2013 to see how high, quote, she could get in the rankings for her age. She ended up placing in the Wimbledon Seniors in 2014. Pretty Whoa. high, as it turns out. Wow. See, that okay. sounds that sounds like a movie. I'd watch that movie. Yeah, it's pretty good. She's also written a long series of articles in The Guardian about how this reintroduction of tennis caused her to basically become obsessive about fitness and led to a uh, mental breakdown of sorts because she became overly obsessed with fitness. Yeah, no spoilers, but the, you know, level obsessive levels of fitness and competition. Talk about that a lot in Infinite Jest. Talk about that a lot in... uh... In oligarchy as well, actually, which oh, I think was written after that happened as well. Well, there you go. Toby, we know you're reading Infinite Jest. You don't have to say huh. it every five minutes. I just, I, guys, I was reading the other day and you guys, oh, you have no idea. My poor wife. I'm like, you know, at Infinite Jest, they say. <laughs> um, huh, tennis. Interesting. And uh, so I'm going to share um, a quote with you to end this little section. Her protagonist in The End of Mr. Y is named Ariel. And she has said that uh, the author has said that she shares with Ariel a wish to know everything. And there's this quote about it. Quote, I'm very much someone who wants to work out the answers. I want to know what's outside the universe. What's at the end of time? And is there a God? But I think fiction's great for that. It's very close to philosophy. Well, is there? Well, thank you for those great facts and Dylan, your great quips. I like you. Um, <laughs> so that's Oligarchy by Scarlett Thomas, four stars. Nice. Nice. Well, after all that, I could use a little trip to the coast of Italy and maybe, you know, a letter to a friend or expert excerpts from some screenplays. Bailey, do you have anything that you possibly read that has something to do with that? Andrew, I'm surprised you know a little bit about this book I read. I had to look it up for the game. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I read a book this week. It's called Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walter. Ruins. I was going to try to do the White Lotus theme song, but I realized it will sound really stupid if I try. (laughs) Oh my God, it works. Oh no, you're right. That didn't sound stupid, you guys. Uh, We have fun. Um, So this book came out a few years ago, and it was everywhere, if I remember. Like, people were reading it for book clubs. I remember it featured at, like, Barnes & Noble or bookstores. And you might know the cover. It's got this, like, sort of modern calligraphy font, and it's a picture of the Cinque Terre in Italy. And so it's this beautiful coastline with these colorful houses on it and then the beautiful blue water. So I knew this cover, and this is a case of sort of similar to Andrew's, where I kind of picked it up from a little free library just because I had seen the cover a lot. And I was like, oh, yeah, people were talking about this. I I should take it for free from this library. Uh, So I didn't really know what it was about. And even reading the back of the book, it was unclear what this book is about. But, you know, it had a pretty cover, and everyone was reading it. So I will tell you what this book about. I will say that I... I, I will say I often conflated this book with a different book, which is called The Ruins. 
right. which is about like people like it's a horror book where people like explore like a Mayan ruin or something and they get like strangled by vines. And I was like, wow, it's a lot of acclaim for this horror book. I've got to check it out. Yeah, that's not this one. <laughs> Man, Oprah really loves genre horror. Who knew? <laughs> so, OK, so what this book is about, it basically centers around one moment in the 50s when a Italian man, Pasquale Torse, sees this beautiful actress coming to stay at his hotel, and her name is Dee Moray, and he falls in love at first sight. And everything takes off from there. We follow many, many decades, many, many different characters, all connected to this one moment, and then what becomes like an unrequited love and then regret going forward. So you might say that's more of a premise than a plot, and I will say maybe you're right. Ooh. Mm, that's Amore. More like <laughs> beautiful booins. Ooh. Um, so I'll just give you... A quote. This is on page eight. This is a sense of the writing, and I did think the writing was. I did think the writing was good. That could taste the salt already. Look, I did think the writing was. I, good. I'm telling. I'm telling myself to not, you know, lay into this book. Okay. Um, <laughs> page eight. But then she turned directly toward him, and the disparate features of her drastic face came together as a single perfect thing. And Pasquale recalled from his studies how some buildings in Florence could disappoint from various angles, and yet always presented well in relief, always photographed well, that the various vantages were made to be composed, and so too he thought some people. Then she smiled, and in that instant, if such a thing were possible, Pasquale fell in love, and he would remain in love for the rest of his life, not so much with a woman whom he didn't even know, but with the moment. Is she good looking or not? I don't understand what that Basically, my impression is that she she looks like a hot building. Come on. I don't know. Don't you know? If someone called my face drastic, I don't know how I would take that compliment. I think she's like one of those people that you would like an actor or a model that you would say is unique looking, but you can't look away. So but but that gives you a sense of like sort of the romanticism of the language, the setting. I liked the setting. I really would like to go to Italy. Andrew honeymoon there. It seems like a very lovely place. And I would go to this um, part of the plot is that Pasquale is trying to make his small village into a destination as much as the rest of the Cinque Terre is. And so he's trying to get people to come, but people end up showing up at his hotel thinking it's a different part of... They keep thinking they're in the White Lotus. Yeah, Mm. basically. Um, And so, but I was like, oh, I would like to stay there. I would like to stay at this little hotel with the people that are trying really hard to make it um, exciting and fun. Like I said, there's lots of characters and sort of worlds that split off from this one moment. We go to Hollywood, both in the past and during the making of Cleopatra. A lot of, there's a lot of talk of Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Also in the present where we're following sort of this old movie producer who's trying to find a new movie, but he hasn't had a hit in a while, and his young assistant who's just beleaguered. And we also go to like the Midwest, where one of the character's sons is trying to sort of salvage his life. He goes to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. There's all these combinations of times and places and characters leading back to this one moment. And it's a case where I think Andrew's talked about it with regards to other books of um, Jess Walter calls it a braided narrative where it's like you find a character, you follow them for a bit, and then they sort of come back into the plot. And by the end, they're all together. I think Andrew has said that as something that he particularly does not like. Is that right, Andrew? That is correct. I had a visceral reaction to you describing it. Wild, wild, wild. Mm. And more like a visit from the Boo Squad. <laughs> and sorry, not to say that that can't be done well. It just, it's an automatic, like, gets my gets my hackles up. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I understand, I understand that. And I will say just 
to lead off of my orcs and elves, which I think, as you can tell, are probably more orc heavy. Jess Walter says about this book, he says exactly what I was thinking. I was reading in the back of the book, there's like an interview with him. It was very difficult for him to write this book. It took him 15 years to write it. And he said, I would work on it, then abandon it, stop and start and pick it up and put it down, try to find another way into the story until I realized that these different paths into the story were the story. So that's what I felt. It was like, it's just about this idea. But when you come down to it, the idea isn't deep enough for me to make it feel profound. It feels like it's really trying to be a literary profound book. And he talks about his influences being like Gabriel Garcia Marquez and Don DeLillo. But it just didn't hit for me. And there's some characters that I thought were more like caricatures that didn't feel three-dimensional that also are introduced and then abandoned, and in particular, the Hollywood people. Can I say something real quick before I get too far away from it? Yeah. You, you guys tell me, I think we've all said this. We've all had books that we didn't particularly care for, and I'm not going to spoil your review of this or whatever. But I think a common theme in books that we don't love is authors claim that Gabriel Garcia Marquez is one of their main influences. Well, Have you noticed that? (laughs) I haven't noticed that specifically, but I will look for it now. I mean, I remember uh, Senor Vivo and the Coca Lord. Remember Mm -hmm. that one that I hated? He was like doing his Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And there's been a couple other authors where they're like, yeah, he's one of my favorites. And I think it's just, you know, It's a hard style to get right or a hard influence to try and incorporate into your own work, it seems to me. Yeah. And And some people don't even like Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I was going to say. Yeah, I wasn't going to try and bring that up. (laughs) Well, I was going to say that. Like when it came down to it, when we read 100 Years of Solitude, I was like, I didn't enjoy this. Like I can see how it's good, (laughs) but I didn't enjoy it. So anyway, all this to say, I can understand how people are drawn to it because on the surface, if you look at how it's structured, it looks like, you know, a big literary novel like the Booker Prize. But I think, you know, like his description of the woman, like it doesn't all sort of come together. There are good parts and bad parts, but Mm. it didn't end up being very striking to me. All that said, I'm going to give it three stars. To be clear, I want to say right now, didn't hate it. It's not a one star. It's not a two star, but it was really overhyped to me. And on Goodreads, a lot of my friends had rated it five stars. A lot of people had read it. And I just remember seeing it everywhere. And maybe maybe it's just not for me. So it's like, OK, ruins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did like the title. The title refers both to, of course, like the ruins of the place they're in, but also and the people. Well, yeah, the people. Well, but it's a reference to so someone described uh, Richard Burton as that beautiful oh. ruin. So also, oh. Andrew. Richard Burton, who is a character at one point, mentions that he picked up his last name, his stage name, from the author of Anatomy of Melancholy. So. Oh. <laughs> well, guys, I guess I need to read it next. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, please, no, Dylan, please. So, yeah, that, that's my... Have either of you guys read this or heard of it? I have not read it. I mean, I've seen it on bookshelves, but... Yeah. I've read uh, The Ruins, and that was fun. <laughs> Just some real bad stuff happened to those people that decided to explore the, the ruins. Don't do that. (laughs) Well, Toby, do you have any facts on Mr. Jess Walter? Uh, I do. Jess Walter was born July 20th, 1965. Uh, Nearly the same vintage as our other author, Scarlett Thomas. He's an American author of seven novels, two collections of short stories, and a nonfiction book. He is the recipient of the Edgar Allan Poe Award and was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2006. Uh, His seven novels are Over Tumbled Graves, Land of the Blind, Citizen Vince, The Zero, The Financial Lives of the Poets, Beautiful Ruins, Heard of It, and The Cold Millions. Uh, In 2013, he published his first collection of short stories, We Live in Water, which President Barack Obama named one of his favorite books in 2019. His books have been published in 32 countries and translated into 32 languages. That's one language 
per country. And that's just wow. Walter. No, I'm just kidding. Beautiful Ruins was a number one New York Times bestseller. It was named Esquire's Book of the Year, NPR Fresh Air's Best Novel of 2012, a New York Times notable book, and a Washington Post notable book. So, you know, them or Bailey, pick a side. I will I pick Bailey. I will say I that, you know, <laughs> NPR, you know, that's not... It didn't get the Nobel Prize, is what I'm saying. I was going to say, the feud between the Turbulus and Fresh Air continues. <laughs> How about this? How about Maureen Corrigan of NPR's Fresh Air called this novel, quote, a literary miracle? Yeah, that's on the front of the cover of the book. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, some background on him in the book. Um, I pulled some interesting responses. He did a column that many authors do called By the Book. Uh, in the New York Times, and the New York Times sends him a long list of book-related questions, and he answers them. And I like these. I think I've pulled from these before because um, they're kind of like almost questions that we on the to-read list would ask authors. So Just imagine that we're asking these questions. <laughs> yeah. The first one from Bailey is, how dare you? <laughs> so the first question is, what's the last great book you read? And his response is, Sarah M. Broom's The Yellow House. And I finally read Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall this summer. Nice. Sometimes when everyone is reading a book, I avoid it like it's a trendy restaurant. Now, 10 years later, I can't find anyone to talk about it. I sure hope there's a sequel. <laughs> that must be an old answer because there is a couple sequels, right? Yeah. I sure hope there's a podcast that discusses yeah. it in the future. <laughs> the New York Times asks, are there any classic novels that you only re recently read for the first time? And he answers, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, parentheses, terrifically overheated, whatever that means. Overheated. Oscar Wilde's The Portrait. Is it the picture? It's supposed to be the portrait, isn't it? Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray. It is picture, and it took me a really long time to come to terms with that. I didn't know that. Mm. Damn, I, yeah. I've read that. Um, parentheses, Twilight Zone with Brandy. And George Eliot's Middlemarch, parentheses, Dang. on page 43, report to come later. So, you know, seems like I've got one up on this guy because I finished <laughs> that dang book. I've read The Picture of Dorian Gray. <laughs> and Bailey said Frankenstein, so together we have it. I've read The Portrait of Dorian Gray. All right, so this is one that I enjoy. Describe your ideal reading experience. When, where, what, how. He says, it's late morning, just after second breakfast. I take a break from six minutes of intense writing to recline in my office chair and read from Olga Tokarczuk's Flights, when a great line, quote, there is too much world, so it's better to concentrate on particulars rather than the whole, inspires me to leap up and take another shot at writing. But on the way to the desk, I see that I've left James McBride's Deacon King Kong open on my napping couch. I plop down and read, quote, three days after Hot Sausage predicted his doom, Sport Coat decided to stop in at the watch house to see his buddy Rufus. Six hours later, another day at the office is done. Uh, we get it, you read. <laughs> we have a duology of questions. They ask, what book should everybody read before the age of 21? And he says two answers, which he does several times. He says two answers. Yeah, he says, an, the white... What an overachiever. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait till you see what his second answer is. The White Album by Joan Didion and Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. Ooh. All right, I respect that. Man, he would love our podcast. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> Except not this episode. Well, actually, he disagrees with all of our opinions. Uh, and then the, the other half of this question is, what book should nobody read until the age of 40? And his answer is American Pastoral by Philip Roth, immediately upon turning 40, which I guess is a burn. I haven't read that book. I haven't either. Isn't that on someone's list? None of us are 40. We're not allowed to. We're not 40 yet. Well, it was on my list, but then I decided I didn't really want to read it for the podcast, so I took it off, which yeah, is the benefit okay, of okay. having a digital list. I can imagine you're at like Barnes & Noble, you buy it. It's like, I need to see some ID. <laughs> Show me your bald spot. This will you know, appeal to Bailey. This is our last selection. How do you organize your books? Ooh. And I know that 
Bailey's passionate about this, and I don't think she'd agree with him. His answer is, intuitively, unalphabetized and on dedicated bookshelves. I have a bookshelf for hardcovers of novels that are meaningful to me. Don DeLillo to Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um... Other bookshelves for, quote, classics, shelves for nonfiction and poetry, one for autographed books, Andrew, and a few Mm. for general public shelves with great books for my adult children to pilfer, which they do. In my office, I keep bookshelves for current research, books on writing, and stellar examples of what I hope to do next. Last year, it was covered with historical fiction. Now it's dedicated to short story collections. Actually, I don't don't hate that. I like that. Based on what he's described as in his office, it must be like 20,000 square feet. He's got a napping couch, (laughs) a couple other different couches, and about 30,000 bookcases. (laughs) Yeah, this man wants you to know he's rich and he reads. I want a napping Um, couch. And that's Jess Walter. Yay! (laughs) Napping couch. Put Put it on my... Christmas list stolen. All right. Well, that. Put on my Goodreads. There you go. Napping Couch by Bailey Beggard Wells. That's friend of the podcast, Jess Walter. Uh, Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walter. Three stars. Enemy of the podcast, Fresh Air. Enemy of the podcast, Terry Gross. <laughs> Coming for you, Terry. Uh, Andrew, do you have any fun games for us to play? I do have one fun game, and we'll see how fun yes. you think it is. In the past, we've done games like this, and I don't think you guys liked them very much. Uh oh. Oh. Yay. Yay. <laughs> the name of the game this week is Pasta Adventure. Mm-hmm. Pasta Adventure. Like pasta? Like yeah, pasta? It's like a, like, yeah, like a portmanteau of pasta and adventure. Okay, I get pasta it. Pasta Adventure. Okay. Uh-huh. Pasta. Okay. Yeah. I didn't expect to have to explain that. <laughs> no, no, it's clever. It's clever. <laughs> So I uh, was struggling with ideas for this game and eventually, you know, with about half an hour to the podcast, decided to just write you a little paragraph where I hid in different pasta shapes because a lot of the book that Bailey read takes place in Italy. Okay. Okay. I'm getting ready. So the way the game is going to work is I'm going to read this paragraph. I'm only going to read it once because unlike other ones I've done, these I think stick out a little more. And then you guys are going to each have turns identifying one. So write down anything that you you notice and have it ready because we'll go until somebody does not have an answer. Okay. And the person who has the last correct answer will be the winner. When you say they stick out, would you say that they're al dente? Um, <laughs> that's just properly cooked, Bailey. I see what you're trying to do. Yeah. Are you ready for a post adventure? This is up there with the dumbest things i've ever done on this podcast mama mia please join let's me. go here we go again <laughs> all right now get your listening ears on zd was a normal day at the office or so i thought farfalla for me to call it boring but it certainly lacked spice that was of course until the penne dropped and who should cannelloni through the door but kevin lasagna who is an actual professional soccer player in italy I most acutely whisk you away, he said. I, aghast, responded, I'm a picky person, and this is out of character, but I cavatelli how long I've been waiting for you to ask me that. <laughs> and just like that, we ran away together like two fusilli school children. We bucatini <laughs> boat and sail away to our future, and we lived happily ever after. Spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I don't think I've ever hated autocorrect more than when I'm trying to write Fusilli. <laughs> That's Toby's so first I one. So I hope that took you on a journey and the love between our protagonist and Kevin Lasagna. Again, a real person. Um, <laughs> who would like to go first? Well, Toby already said Fusilli, so I think that should be one of his. All right. So Toby, would you like to go first and say Fusilli? Sure. Fusilli. Okay, Bailey. Balls in your court. Mozzarella ball in your court. Ziti. All right. Bailey has identified ziti. Uh, spaghetti, because I'm trying to eliminate the more obvious ones first. Well done. Well done. Bailey. Lasagna. Well done. 
I thought maybe you okay. would think that was a dish, not a noodle, but you're correct. Ah, it's a noodle. Um, penne. Well done. That was one of the sneakier ones. Farfalle. Mm-hmm. Crushing it. Okay, now we're into the ones that I've... Uh, cannoli. I know that one. Are you sure you want to pronounce it that way? Uh, cannellinis, right? No, shoot. I, this is autocorrect. I wrote it. No, no. If you combine cannoli and cannellini, you get cannelloni, which is correct, and I'm going to accept it. <laughs> I wrote it down correctly, but all literally all of my answers from now are just consonants with uh, with red lines under them. <laughs> I, I, I believe you. Bailey, do you have uh, an answer to cannelloni? Bucatini. Bucatini boat, you're correct. Okay. Cavatelli. You guys just might get them all. This is not as hard as I thought, Bailey. And then the last one I have, which I don't know if it's a word, is yeah. tacchiole. It's most tacchiole, but I, you identified it, so I will accept it. There are two ones that were said that have not been identified. Do either of you have one? Toby? No. No, I okay. don't. So here, this is great. What we're going to do is I'm going to read through it again. And when you think you hear it, yell it out. And whoever gets it first will win. Okay. Ziti was a normal day at the office, or zo I thought. Farfalla so for me to call zo? it. Zo? Zo I? Yeah. Zo I? Yeah. Guys. Zo I taught. Orzo, Orzo, it's Orzo. Yeah, there you go, Toby. Gets it. There we go. Gets it. The other one was peaky. I said I'm a peaky person, (laughs) which is also a kind of pasta. But Toby found the Orzo. I thought that was going to be the one that was the winner. And congratulations, Toby. You're a pasta man. Good job, Toby. Thank you. I'm a pasta man. It works for me. Molto bene. Am I the only one who hasn't seen the show and do not know what you're doing? <laughs> Don't pretend like it's that fun. <laughs> Thank you for that fun game, and now I'm very hungry for pasta. Dylan. Yes. It's your time to get out of the pasta bowl. <laughs> and into the fire. <laughs> I just had a mental image of Dylan struggling to exit a gigantic yeah. bowl of spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> Dylan, it's time for you to choose books at random for us to read next. It's time for the spaghettiing. The choosing. Slop, slop. The choosing. Wow, it's been a long time since I've had a book chosen, and I'm nervous. I know. It's been like six uh, weeks. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, Andrew, I, I thought love only existed in fairy tales, but you know, it was made for someone else, but not for me. But then I saw her face, and I picked number 24, The Great Believers. By Rebecca Mackay. Ooh, this oh. is exciting. This one's on my list too. Because I spent so much time like culling the weird books from my shelf, I just assumed one of the remaining ones would be picked, but this is a solid one that I'm excited to read. Thank you. And then, wait, Toby, Andrew, I have you guys on the line, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Oh yeah. my God, guys, you're not going to believe this. Oh, I was so didn't think this was a bit for a second, but God. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Oh my God, guys, you know, Bailey... From yeah. the podcast? Yeah. yeah, my sister, your wife. <laughs> yeah. And Toby's friend. <laughs> You're not going to believe this. But she got number 78, Queen Bees and Wannabes, Helping Your Daughter Survive Clicks, Gossip, Boyfriends, and Other Realities of Adolescence by Rosalind Wiseman. Oh. <laughs> oh. I can't believe she did I can't. I, I can't believe you spilled the tea, Dylan. <laughs> this is the book you might remember. It's a nonfiction book, obviously, that inspired Tina Fey to write Mean Girls. So. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Queen interesting. Bees and Wannabes. I can't I can't do it next week because <clears throat> I'm sick. So let's hope this book is fetch. Uh, on Tuesdays we wear pink. Toby, stop trying to make fetch happen. All right. Well, <laughs> that is exciting. So we're going to have kind of a weird episode next time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in two weeks on the podcast, Toby is reading 
Here is New York by E.B. White. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's why I said it was a good show. This is the kind of content you tune into the to read list for, people. Come on. And I will be reading Queen Bees and Wannabes by, who's the person? (laughs) By Rosalind Wiseman and say the whole title. Oh, Queen Bees and Wannabes, helping your daughter survive clicks, gossip, boyfriends, and other uh, realities of adolescence by Rosalind Wiseman. You know what's weird is that's what Here's New York is about, too. It has the same (laughs) subtitle. Uh, He doesn't even go here. Yeah. E.B. White's a cool mom. Yeah. <laughs> E.B. White would just rather you do it at his house. I know, I know you're thinking I'm a hard author, but I'm not. I'm a cool author. <laughs> uh, okay. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. And if you are a multi-generational cadre of people spanning, you know, 50, 60 years in Italy, why not hop on iTunes and rate us five stars? At, uh, or iTunes. <laughs> hop on Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. It really helps the podcast out, helps our visibility, and makes us feel great. And if you really want to, uh, write us a review, too, because that is extra helpful. And another great way to help people find the podcast is by telling a friend. So tell your friends at your boarding school near Stevenage in England, whether they're Mm. the 1% or some of the town boys, or tell the (laughs) actress you've been in love with for 60 years on that coastal seaside town. Word of mouth is the best way that we find new listeners. So give a shout to your long lost love or your best enemy. And there have been several romances that begun with people telling uh, people about our podcast. Just putting that and up no, there. we won't use examples. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books. books. books.